Welcome to Tell Me More About Co-housing with Lynn Morstead and Kelly Soika. Co-housing Houston is a multi-generational, community-minded group of people who share the values of connection and sustainability. We have broken ground on the first co-housing project in Houston, Texas. In fact, the first in all of Texas. And as Yay. of last week, we actually <laughs> have some papers signed with a bank for money. So things are getting really exciting. Yay! It's so close to seeing it all come to pass. Hi, Lynn, you're back. Welcome back I from the am. <laughs> I am. I am back. And um, yeah, I even slept through the night. So I'm like really back. Hooray! <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, we are very glad to have you back. Thank you. Thank it was you. a long haul without I our know, I yes. know. Yes. <laughs> but you did a beautiful job. I'm so happy to. I love the Gretchen podcast from uh, last week. I'm going to start sharing it with all my friends because I just was enchanted. Thank you. And, and I don't want Gretchen to ever grow up and leave leave go housing. So. <laughs> but I've heard that all kids do that. Unfortunately, sadly, even well, you, you know, you're now a true empty nester. Is I that know right? as of only just a few weeks, I mean, she's yeah. 27. So we yeah. hung on as long as we could, but <laughs> okay, good. I just need to keep Gretchen going to school, right? <laughs> just gather more degrees and then she can live at home. This is, this is a good yeah. plan. Mike yeah. will have to work longer, but you it's know, true. He will need okay. To <laughs> he likes it. <laughs> Okay, great. Well, listen, I, I, I'm so glad we got this podcast today because I had uh, a really amazing experience this morning that I feel compelled to process uh, in front of an audience and with you, Kelly, because you're a great person to process these things with. So let me tell you about what happened and then let's kind of dig into it. So I got a call this morning from a friend who I haven't heard from a long time. And I, I, I and others have made repeated attempts to stay in touch with this person. They, they don't live nearby. So it's not like we can drive by and see what's going on. Yeah. And they've been very elusive. You know, they've been not responding. They haven't been showing up to things that we've organized together online. And so I think finally, most of us thought, you know, let's you know, we don't want to be invading this person's space. We don't know exactly what's going on. Let's give them a little breathing room. So today, I think it's been almost a year, maybe more since I've actually heard from them. They just called me out of the blue. So, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, I was really kind of nervous, kind of excited. And anyway, it, it was great. So the I kind of asked pretty direct as I am like, okay, what triggered you to make this phone call? And um, they started talking about, yes, they recognize it's been a long time and they felt like they really needed to explain why they had been so disconnected for so long. And I knew based on my co-housing listening training that I needed to really up my game in the listening area. So I was just clicking off everything that they said, like, okay, park that point, park that point. And I was doing really, really good. And when I seemed like she had kind of emptied the glass on all of the things she needed to say, I unfortunately went into the usual Lynn Morstead solutions mode. Like that's what <laughs> one does, right? Like, okay, great. Let's figure out how we yep. can kind of get you replugged into everything. Now that I know what we're working with, let's yes. do the work. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you for understanding this, Kelly. So, um, and that's when everything after a lovely, you know, first 20, 30 minutes conversation started to go really 
south really fast. And the whole train came off the rails. And all of a sudden I was being told that I wasn't listening and that this conversation has become terrible and stressful. So I thought, oh my gosh, okay, let me, let me just stop and try and absorb this information. And I said, okay, well, let me, let me just, let me just tell you what I've heard. Cause I, I would feel really bad if you thought I hadn't heard you. So I replayed everything I heard and thank goodness I had paid attention. So I had replayed it all. And then I asked the classic question I've been trained to do, did I get you? And she said, yes, yes. I think you've actually captured it. Yeah. I was like, wow. Okay. But like, what do I do now? Because like, okay, I got you. We got it. Now can I solve the problem? This problem, you know? And, you know, I really switch gears. I realize, okay, Lynn, sorry, girl, this is not your moment to jump in with solutions. And I then spent the next 30 minutes just really biting my tongue every time I went down my usual path and just replaying again in real time instead of waiting for this batched up summarization at the end, which was prompted by her frustration. And, uh, we parted in really, really nice way. Of course, we didn't fix a damn thing as far as I'm concerned, but you know, I'm willing to be proven wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's so interesting that your first instinct too was to recognize that you really needed to actively listen to what was happening um, so in, and I assume because this is what I would do if I were presented with a, you know, juicy set of problems that I thought I could add value to or fix, you know, um, is that from the very beginning, I would be thinking about the solutions more and trying to almost trying to fit the problem into the solution mm. as opposed to really listening from the beginning. Do you think that that conversation would have gone differently if you had just kind of not really thought about been actively thinking about, oh, I should be listening and taking notes. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm, sure. Pretty, I'm sure I would have totally fumbled my attempt to replay. You know, mm-hmm. I would have been stumbling around with probably the, the last piece of information she'd given me. And yeah. then she would have been fully validated in her, yeah. you know, proclamation that I hadn't listened. And the whole thing would have been terrible. And it would have probably caused her then to really pull back again, you know, yeah. from, from me and others involved in, in this group. So um, yeah, it was just, I, I, you know, I just am continually um, amazed at this whole new world of relationships and community and, and how some of the theory is really proven out time and time again, if you give it half a chance. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really different than the way that we operate in the rest of the world, particularly in a corporate environment. But I even think about like with kids, if I tell them to do something, they will, you know, in general do it. Right. But the energy to get it done is coming from me and Mm -hmm. the energy, you know, of them doing it is really, it's a one time, you know, like, sure. I will, I will put my dishes away this time. But if I can say something, make a statement or have a discussion that is flattens the power dynamic a little bit Mm. so that we both agree that, you know, having socks on the uh, couch is gross, then, Mm. then we both are more cognizant of it. And then those socks get put away every Mm. time without me even saying anything. It's like the, it shifts the 
the energy of the get it done from from me to the the group, you know, to everyone. And I think about that when, you know, if you're actively listening, you're inviting and making a space where you're flattening out, mm. you know, the solutions, the solutions can come from that person and they can then be implemented by that person rather than just, you know, telling you something and then getting a bunch of advice from you that then they have to go implement and may or may not work, you know? Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear you and obviously I'm, I'm experiencing it um, and learning by experiencing I think it's just such a, a fine line sometimes between offering a helpful idea mm-hmm. and and versus making it seem like you're trying to to lay out a solution for them to pick up and run with. And it's really tricky balance. Yeah. Um, well, and I think it takes more time, doesn't it? Well, you know, that's an interesting component, Kelly, because I I do recognize that a lot of my kind of corporate orientation around, okay, you've got a problem on the table. You get a bunch of brains in the room, you analyze it, you look at it from this angle, you try this technique, you try this out. We can, within this allotted time period, whatever that meeting allocation is, we will figure out something and then we'll leave away. And then this person will have this to-do item and that person will have another to-do and then we'll, we'll, we'll knock it out or we won't and we'll have to come back and redo it again, right? It'll be an iterative process. And um, I think what I'm, you know, through the school of hard knocks and those unfortunate souls around me are learning who are bumping up <laughs> against me is that, you know, it's different when you're dealing with relationships, you know, and I mean, I dealt with my kids in the same way. So they have probably will propagate this, you know, <laughs> the sins of the fathers will be revisited upon my grandchildren. Well, I but, think all of us always claim that our, our, you know, parents are just wonderful grandparents. And we always say it with a little bit of wonder. <laughs> and I'm sure my girls will yeah, say it about me too. Like, yeah. oh, she really, she really turned out fine. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, I think it's a, you know, I think just having this expectation that if you have enough focus, enough time, enough good ideas, you're going to be able to fix things is really maybe true in some environments, but I think when it comes to relationships, it's a lot more nuanced. There's a lot different angles. There's a time factor involved that time is much more elastic mm-hmm. and sometimes circular. So it pings back and forth and then sometimes it comes back around. And um, I think the concept that I, I really take to heart in a lot of this beyond just the listening piece is structuring it such in a, such a way that you create a space for them to, to internalize it. And I think you were saying to me earlier about the thing about the, these kind of more corporate ways of looking at things, it's a very external process. So yeah. there is either it's passed down through some sort of hierarchical channel or through some big uh, you know, team structure where it's very clear who gets to say what is the final decision. Whereas, and everybody's following orders, you know, whereas in this kind of relationship world, you're only marching to your own drummer and you have to recognize that other people are doing that too. And they've got to find their path forward. And you're just there to listen, to bounce, have them bounce off of you, maybe throw a few ideas out in the pot, but they've got to come to it. It's like, you know, you're getting your kids to have the idea that they would take the socks off the couch. By the way, we need to do a separate talk on that because I'm still, 
I need that one for other people at my house. <laughs> but you know, it's it's just this it's the internal versus external, I think, yeah. you know, coming to a solution. So anyway, that was kind of my big aha moment re-entering from my month away from <laughs> um well, I think it resonates with me from a consensus building standpoint too, as we uh, live in a consensus environment in co-housing, mm. because when you said like people in the corporate world would bring things to a table and put all of the solutions out on the table and turn them over and look at them. And I think about that a lot with when we're bringing proposals to the community, or we know that something needs to happen. Do we bring the thing? Do we bring the table already set, you know, mm. and people can turn it over? Or do we bring the open table and people need to, you know, go and fetch different ideas and different, you know, considerations and set the table as a group? Um, yeah. Because we talk a lot about like, you know, you could choose between A and B, um, but what we really want to have happen where we make our best decisions and our most durable decisions and the decisions that people are going to implement and live by are when instead of choosing between A and B, we've just created C out of our yeah group. Well, you know, I just have to build on that because, and I know we've talked about this in a previous talk where we were talking about Laird Shaw, but this for me was the clincher on this concept from Laird Shaw. And that was, he has these powerful slides where he compares the corp, the competitive versus the collaborative, you know, and to, and to this precise example, he said, when, when a competitive person comes into the room for this AB discussion, they're representing A or B, whatever it is, and their whole orientation is around persuading you that their A or their B is the single right answer because they have all the expertise, they have all the knowledge, they've done the research, they've run the traps up and down, and their whole energy is around persuading you yeah, not listening to you, persuading yeah. you that what they're offering you is the right way, right? That's the competitive. The collaborative approach is you enter the room and you offer up your A and say, invite the group to help me make it better so we have a C. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what you're speaking to. But the way he came at it, for me, I could so relate to the competitive piece of it that it really knocked me upside the head, I have to say. Because it just like explained it like, oh my gosh, if yes. I had entered the room and said, help me make a C, um, I, I, this is my starting point. You know, it's a completely different conversation. So I do wonder if your follow-up conversation with this friend, if perhaps that's the, the, that's the solution is actually to, instead of say you could do X, Y, Z, instead say, you know, here, here's what I would do. What would you do? What, what could yeah. we could we do to make this better? What could we do yeah. to help you in this way? Please? So true. And actually in this particular, we did finally get to that point yeah. and they, right. they actually, and we did get that car and, and she was able to tell me like, I'm just not ready to do any solution. Yeah. And that was really great for them to acknowledge. And then for me to just let that lie Yep. because then I could just shut the heck up. <laughs> <laughs> no more talking is needed. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, Lynn, I'm so glad that this happened to you on your re-entry to society Thank here. 
Thanks for interesting, interesting learnings and interesting reflections for me. Well, it's so great to be back here talking to you uh, at this level, because believe me, the last month was clearly absent of this kind of conversation. So <laughs> it involved a lot of Guinness and fish and chips. And there you go. <laughs> Life needs some of that too, though. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much for stopping by our little podcast today. We're so glad that you clicked on our episode. Uh, for more information about our project, Cohousing Houston, go to www.cohousinghouston.com and subscribe to our newsletter. For general information about cohousing, we like cohousing.org. And we're really active on social media. So go check out what's happening on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Cohousing Houston. Thanks all. Bye.